Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. From being a brigadier general in the Army to guiding culture through his leadership training, David Komar shares his leadership journey and how to connect with purposeful interaction. He believes as a leader, there is no substitute for caring. Just show them how you care. And we discuss how everyone is a leader. So stay tuned for his inspiring journey. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business by transforming trauma into a treasure. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website, shaysparks.com. And I invite you to connect with me on all social media links, mostly Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And you can find those on my website as well. And today, our guest is the amazing David Kumar. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Shay. I really appreciate it. It's fantastic being here. You know, I was listening to some of their previous podcasts and some of the amazing guests you had, like uh, Kristen Trisky and Scott Mason. Uh, based on that, I couldn't even imagine why you invited me, but I, I'm, I'm glad you did. <laughs> well, I have to say, uh, give the backstory. So David and I have met a year ago? Gosh, at Bunker Labs. And it's like, I think, I don't know how you feel, but it was like immediately uh, we started talking and it was like, oh my gosh, we're best friends. Like we, <laughs> we just have so much in common. So, and I loved how we just connected over leadership. So of course I wanted you here today because I know you're doing amazing things in the leadership space. So thank you for being here. Well, so again, it's my, my pleasure to be here. So for those of you who don't know, David Komar is the CEO of Culture Guide. He teaches CEOs and other leaders how to build great organizational cultures using the process that he developed over his 30-plus year Army career. He served 31 years in active duty in a variety of positions and retired at the end of 2018 as a Brigadier General. His career enabled him to travel and live all over the U.S. as well as across the world. He is a veteran of the Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, as well as Operation Enduring Freedom. Also, he is an up-and-coming author, and he is also a speaker on this topic as well. His website is guidingculture.com, and I'll have those in the show notes as well. So, David, I always like to start off with my first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Investing in people to me means to make the to make the, I won't say sacrifice, but to make the commitment to help your people grow both professionally and personally uh, from a uh, from a development 
perspective as well as investing in their well-being through things like uh, you know accepting accepting risk by allowing your people to be away from away from work even during some critical times in order to develop themselves in order to take care of their family um, and you know it's that it's that commitment to your people that's that's absolutely critical nobody ever questions a CEO or other senior business leader who decides you know we're going to we're going to invest you know x millions of dollars in improving our uh, manufacturing facilities or distribution facilities but my gosh you know I'm I'm not I'm always amazed when an employee comes to a supervisor and says hey you know I'd, I'd like to take this this course that's twenty thousand dollars or something like that, um, and and it's like wow, you know, I don't think we have the money in the budget for that. So it's you know, it's it's making that commitment and, and prioritizing that that development, both professionally and personally, as well as caring for those individuals. Mm, so so true, and I love that you brought up professional and personal development. For so many coaches out there, I find that they are focused on one particular area, either professional or uh, personal. And to me, I believe it's both. Like if you work on yourself, it's automatically going to overflow on your professionalism. If in your professional life, if you work on that, it's automatically going to overflow on your personal development. So tell me what your thoughts are on that. No, absolutely. You know, when a person comes to work, uh, the whole person comes to work. Yeah. So, you know, you don't just get the, you know, the, the professional half of that individual. You also get the, you know, the personal half of that individual with uh, his or her ability to communicate with others, to empathize with others, to, to be creative. Uh, so it, so to me, it only makes sense that any development that you, you know, that you undertake to help your people is, is going to be both professionally and, and personally. I agree. And I feel like there's such a, a a crossover between the two, right? That we don't even really think about it. But, you know, so many people are like, well, I'm more in the, de- the professional development um, space. It's like, okay, that's great. But exactly what you said, the whole person shows up. So it's literally who you are as a, um, a a team member, who you are as a leader is also who you are as a spouse, as a, as a, you know, a, a parent. You know, you know, absolutely agree with you. You know, in in fact, you know, the reason I started my business and the reason I decided to write my book uh, is that I've had some I've had some experiences in my life and my professional career where uh, it was it was just wholly unsatisfying and, mm. and working in some incredibly toxic environments. And I realized, it, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, my my sort of grand vision of the world and, and why I get up in the morning is because I believe everyone ought to work somewhere they love. Yeah. And the only way that's going to happen is if they work somewhere that has a great culture that matches their desires. And I know that only its CEOs and other very senior business leaders know how to, to cultivate that culture and develop that culture. Will that will that individual you know, love, love where they work. And, and, and it's not just the fact that they're going to be more productive. You know, Gallup has determined that about 68% of people in the U.S. workforce are not engaged, mm, meaning wow. they are not, they are not coming to work every day and actively 
pursuing the goals of the company. And you know, there's a lot of costs associated with that. Uh, you know, as much as estimated $3,400 for every $10,000 in salary, because these people, you know, they've, they've lost, you know, they're not as productive. Uh, they're disrupting others with their negativity, uh, high absenteeism, chronic tardiness. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's so critical to the, to the, uh, uh, to the organization as a whole, to the company as a whole. And, and sometimes I'm just amazed at often the, the, the lack of emphasis put on, put on that. I mean, the numbers, the numbers don't lie. You know, right. companies that, have acti- that are actively managing their culture, they have a 40% lower turnover rate than companies that don't. Um, so, I mean, even, even, you know, even if you were cynical enough to say, well, you know, it's all a business decision and all a money decision, uh, people, you know, you, you would still want to do that. Um, and for me, it's, you know, it's something much more personal, uh, you know, it's part of my, my values and, and my beliefs that, you know, that, that, that everyone is an individual and everyone deserves to be treated with dignity, uh, you know, and, you know, a lot of that goes to my, you know, my spiritual beliefs that, you know, everyone, you know, everyone is, uh, uh, you know, is made in the image of God and, and, and deserves that, that type of respect. So I'm sure, you know, some of that carries over. But again, even from a business, even if you were looking strictly from a business perspective, uh, you know, you would not, you know, you, you wouldn't be making the decisions that's, that some folks are, are making out there. Mm, I I just have so true. So true. And I love that you brought up the Gallup poll. So I'm curious, 64% are not engaged. So is that before COVID or is that now after COVID? Because I think that would probably probably be a whole lot higher now. Well, that was was, uh, before COVID. And Gallup, they did their mega analysis, uh, or excuse me, meta analysis, they released it in October and I have actually have not gone through all the data yet on that, but I don't think it's going to change, change all that much. Well, you know, it's interesting because I have had so many conversations with leaders and especially corporate America and they feel like, you know, being at home gave them permission to not work and not communicate and not check in and not like quote unquote punch the time clock because there was no accountability. So as a leader and what it is that you do for leaders, how much do you think accountability really plays into that? Well, I think, I think accountability being self, you know, uh, accountable to yourself and accountable to others as a leader is, is, is absolutely, uh, is absolutely critical. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Harry Campbell and, you know, I've read his books and he talks, he talks about that as well as, you know, determine, you know, who you are, who you want to be and, you know, hold yourself and, and expect others to hold you accountable to that. Um, and, and I think that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely critical. Now there's some skills associated with continuing to communicate, continuing to, uh, uh, engage with your employees and, and, you know, make them feel part of the, you know, you know, let them know the, how, how important part of the team they are. And, you know, this, you know, this media right here, uh, this the Zoom call that we're on, you know, this is, it's a, it's a big challenge. And unfortunately, people forget about how 
they interacted with people before COVID. And they would hold meetings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, put information out, discuss important issues, uh, et cetera. But that wasn't the only interaction with those people. Uh, typically, you know, there was some discussion before the meeting started. Hey, how was your weekend? How's your kid? You know, how are your kids doing, et cetera? And, you know, and, and certainly after the meeting, as people are filing out, they're talking to each other and the leaders are able to, to engage with their people. But when you have a Zoom call like this, it's typically not like that unless you actually structure it that way and say, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, you know, discuss and just kind of socialize for the first five minutes or whatever, and then we'll do it for 10 minutes afterwards. So what I caution people is since before COVID, they engaged primarily outside, you know, the meeting room or the boardroom, that you need to make that same differentiation even when you're in, especially now that, that you're in, you know, this, these uh, video teleconference capabilities. So what I do is I'd say, hey, look, you know, pick up your phone and mm-hmm. give, give someone a call. Don't rely, oh, I saw them at, you know, on the Zoom call today. I said hi and et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, pre, prior to COVID, you know, you would, you know, you'd meet that person, you know, walking in from the car in the morning or, you know, leaving in the evening or, you know, just in the hallway and you'd stop and, and you know, spend a few minutes of, you know, you know, really connecting with that individual. But this sort of Zoom environment doesn't doesn't allow that. So mm-hmm. what I what I recommend to people and what I suggest is, you know, is change the media. Mm. You know, give them a call. Uh, let that phone call be a substitute for, you know, that chat in the hallway, et cetera. You know, yeah. you don't have to, it doesn't have to take a lot of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, just to reach out and just, you know, to really connect with them and say, you know, how are you doing? Hmm. How are your kids doing? You know, I know that, you know, your, you know, your kids are doing virtual school. How's that impacting, you know, your, 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 you know, your, your family life at home. And I, I mean, that's the, that just means so much to people when someone else is is caring enough to reach out and then also vulnerable enough to share some of the challenges that they're having. Because a lot of people, you know, they're not going to open up about, yeah, this is a real challenge. You know, my wife and I are, you know, we're having some difficulty, you know, sort of sharing the the homeschooling efforts or the, 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 the teleschool efforts. Oh, I, uh, you know, we've uh, we've got the same. You know, we've got we've got the, we're having a problem with that too. Um, and and you know, there's there's no substitute for caring. Um, and you, you can't. I think you can't teach caring. But I think what you need to be able to do is though you need to be able to show people how much you care. And oftentimes it's not that they don't that you don't care about the other person, but you're not really in tune with how to connect with that individual particularly since this is all new, you know, it used to, you know, it wasn't a problem before, you know, you talk about, Hey, how, you know, did you watch the chiefs game Sunday? And, you know, and, and that can then just naturally come into, Hey, you know, I know your son's playing soccer. How's that going, et cetera. Um, and, and, and again, it's, it's, you care about that person. That's why you're doing it. But this whole environment makes it more difficult. So we've got to be more, um, more purposeful, 
in how we interact with people to, to maintain and to grow those connections. Mm, I completely, 100% agree with you. Um, I mean, that's what I do. I help people communicate more effectively. And there's something to be said when you jump on the phone rather than a text, right? You get oh, yeah. that, 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 what does their voice sound like? Does it, is it different than it normally is? Is their tone off? You know, are they, you know, how do they sound? Are they excited? Are they upset? Are they, you know, are they in a bad space? And I feel like just by, you're so spot on by just connecting a few minutes before the Zoom, it gives you that, um, you know, before you would sit, stand at the coffee bar and make coffee or, you know, water cooler or whatever and be like, exactly what you said. Hey, did you see the game? How are your kids? What was your kids game like this weekend? It builds that rapport that I feel like so many in this day and age with all Zoom, we're missing, right? It We're missing the mark on how to build a relationship with a, another human being on the cellular level of a human being, right? Not, a, you know, another employee um, boss type of thing, just on a, a human level. Yeah. And it's particularly challenging if you have a new employee, if you've got Absolutely. a new member of the team that you haven't built that uh, rapport with, you haven't built that connection uh, face-to-face with previously. So, you know, there's some, you know, there's some techniques on doing that as well, you know, set up that, you know, that one-on-one Zoom call, then check in on the phone. And, and, you know, it, it is, it is very, very different. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to sort of minimize the challenge of it, but we've got to understand what those challenges are and, and you know, develop some strategies to, you know, to work through that. Yeah, I've had a, a couple of clients actually just recently in the last probably six months start a new job at a new company. And they're like, I haven't met any of my team members because I'm literally on Zoom or I'm li- it's email. And I'm like, man, you need to like just go into, you know, happy hour, go meet at a park somewhere, six feet apart, whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, just so you can meet and at least, you know, get that the uh, there's something to be said for vibe, right? You get that vibe from them and, and how they are as a person because of your emails. I mean, we all interpret them differently, right? We're looking at them through our own, you know, filter, not their, their voice tone. Yeah. And, and, you know, and part of that is, you know, each individual's ability to communicate and to create that connection varies. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have had this same experience. You know, I've met people, particularly at work, where uh, they seem very, uh, very reserved, very stiff, um, almost to the point of being uh, unapproachable. Uh, but then when you get to know them a little bit better, uh, you, you realize that it's not, it's not, they're not really like that. You know, particularly if you get to know them a little bit on a, on a social level and, and you, you see how much you do have in common. Uh, with them that, you know, it makes not only the personal relationship better, but it makes the, the ability to work with them professionally. Uh, it makes that a much, you know, you know, much, much better and, and, and uh, effective working relationship as well. Absolutely. And, you know, back when we were having things in person, like we said a year ago in the beginning, it's like you immediately you just start talking about whatever. And that's how you and I connected. I don't even remember how the conversation got started. But then it was like, oh, tell me about yours. Oh, tell me about yours and yeah. you know what you're doing. And so it's literally just that 
comparing your your lives, right? And finding that one common meaning that you can really, you know, have a conversation about and really connect over. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And, you know, because, because we're not spending as much time, you know, together uh, individually, it is sometimes hard to, makes it harder to discuss some, some, you know, some difficult situations and some, some sensitive, sensitive issues. Um, but, you know, it's still, it's still gotta be, it's still gotta be done. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I would much rather if I had to talk to, you know, one of my teammates or my boss or something about a, you know, a, a sort of a sensitive or delicate subject, boy, I'd much rather do it in person than do it over, do, do it over Zoom or do it over the phone. Uh, and so, again, that's 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 extremely, uh, extremely difficult as well. Yeah, but, you know, at the same, same time as a leader, you know, you've still got to understand what your people are going through and, and help them out as, as, you know, as best as best you can so that uh, so they can be successful both professionally and personally. So I just want to take a pause here for a minute and really kind of like peel away the layers of who David is <laughs> and talk about uh, we've been talking about communication and leadership and and how important it is. So I'm just like curious to know what how was there like how do I want to phrase it? Was there a time in your life that you were like, I am uh, not a leader, but I want to become a leader or where someone, you know, where you always put in leadership positions, how did you evolve to become a leader? How did you, or did you choose to become a leader? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a great question. And I, I should probably be more self-aware and have, have thought through that a little bit more. Uh, you know, when I was, I grew up in central New York state in the Finger Lakes in the wine country there. My dad worked for one of the public utilities. Um, and, you know, my mother's an immigrant. My father's parents were immigrants and my father was born here, uh, you know, worked hard in high school, got an academic scholarship, went to college. And, you know, we really lived the American dream. So, you know, I knew from a pretty early age on that I wanted to serve and, and give back to my country uh, in some way. So when I was in college, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I think joining the, joining the army would be a good way of doing that. Uh, I really didn't have any I didn't have any uh, plans on making it a career. I just you know, wanted to give back for a few years. Uh, but, you know, through high, throughout high school and, and certainly in college, you know, to some, you know, to some degree, I sought out leadership positions. I, I studied pe- both people around me as well as people that, uh, uh, you know, I read about who were great leaders and what some of their attributes were. And certainly, I got I got my commission through the Reserve Officer Training Corps (ROTC) at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. Uh, so, you know, certainly had uh, you know some formal uh, some formal leadership training and education, as well as practical applications. Uh, so, you know, that's really where I learned learned from others and, and observing other other leaders on how things how things should be. Um, now, my first. My first couple assignments in the Army were somewhat of a culture shock to me because uh, my leadership was not uh, was not what I thought it, it should be. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was talking to a, a, a CEO out of the St. Louis area the other day 
who he came in the army same year I did. He went to West Point, but uh, you know he he got out of the army after like four or five years his initial his initial commitment. And one of the things we talked about is when you talk to army officers who got out of the army after their very first assignment, w- one thing that's very striking is that by and large, when you asked them what their immediate commander was like, uh, if they said he, he or she was, was, was not a, was not a good leader, those individuals, you know, were much more likely to get out. Mm, um, so, uh, I took it as a learning experience. You know, I think you can look at a great leader and, and uh, adopt things that fit into your personality and your leadership style. But at the same time, I think you can look at poor leaders and, and say, wow, you know, I never want to never want to do that again. Um, and then as you get a little bit more experienced, it's a little bit easier to, to navigate uh, the terrain. And I'll give you an example. When I was a captain stationed in Hawaii, I'd been in the Army you know, seven seven years or so, and <clears throat> had a soldier who was who was uh, he was going to leave the army shortly. His enlistment was up, um, but he had a couple incidents. It became clear he had a uh, you know he had a uh, he had a pretty significant problem with alcohol. And when I first mentioned it to my commander, the battalion commander, he's like, "Hey, look, you know he is." You know, he is he's going to be out of the army soon. You know, we shouldn't be because um, the next step for him was to send him to in to, to inpatient treatment. And, you know, it's you know, those 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 you know, there were there weren't a lot of those positions. Right. And, you know, my my commander, you know, he he never said to me, he never said to me, don't send him. These tellers ask you, you know, he, he'd always make it very clear he didn't see why we should send him. Um, so I took that as an opening. I sent him anyway and didn't, and didn't tell him about it for a couple of weeks. And by that point, he had been a couple of weeks in the, uh, the uh, inpatient treatment and it was going real well. Uh, I used to go, used to go visit him every three or four days, see how he was doing. It was going really well. And, you know, I'll never forget when he went to his graduation uh, from the program, and he was he was from uh, Micronesia, uh, Pacific got one of the Pacific Island uh, areas there. We had used to get quite a few soldiers from, and it was a very poor area. There was a lot of alcohol mm. abuse there. Uh, you know, he, he he had you know that's what his experience was when he was growing up in his immediate family. And I'll never forget his his uh, parents came to his graduation from the in, inpatient treatment and both the soldier and his mom thanked me and they said, you saved my life. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I caught, <clears throat> I caught some grief from my Italian commander for that, but, ab- you know, absolutely it was, uh, you know, it was worth it. You know, and I actually heard from him for years after that. He was doing really well. He was working as a, a police officer, and, and you know, so again, sometimes as a leader, you got to sort of stick your own neck out uh, to help people that that need the help, even if even if helping that person is never going to, like in this case, helping helping that soldier, that was never going to help, you know, myself, our unit, or the army in the future. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could maybe extrapolate out and say, well, uh, it show it when he went back home, it showed people how much the army cared about him to take care of him, and maybe you know, there's you know, might be some second and third order effects of of you know people maybe being a little more. Uh, open to, you know, joining the army, but, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not about you. It's about that per It's about that other person. Absolutely. Have you stayed in contact with him now? It's, you know, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm, I'm in the process of reaching back out is, you know, unfortunately back then, you know, it was, you know, letters and things like that were the only way to stay in touch. And, and, uh, um, the last time I sent him something, it came, it, you know, it came back to me as unde- as undeliverable, and I'm sure it's probably the same thing has happened to him. So, um, obviously, I'll, you know, share his name, but I, you know, I, uh, I, I, I have the inf- I have the information to to reach back out to him. Well, I just think, well, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that and sticking your neck out for him, because we never know the impact that we're going to have on another another person, and. It, it just takes one, right? You impact that one person. And then it's a butterfly effect like Andy Andrews, uh, another uh, wonderful author, talks about, right? It's a, he flaps his wings here, but it's going to be felt on the other side of the, the world. And so you have no idea how what you did uh, in the army affected him when he got out, you know, and how it, it, it affected his life. Maybe he became, you know, maybe I'm just guessing, but who knows? I mean, maybe he started, you know, AA or treatment centers there in his little, his mm-hmm. little country. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, you know, that, that goes back to sort of my, my big universal purpose of ensuring everyone loves where they work because it's, it's not, it's not just about, and it's, I mean, again, and then the numbers prove it. Uh, how much more profitable and, and effective it makes companies, uh, but people that go home and they're, they're they're very fulfilled with what they've done and the way they've been treated at work, you know, they're going to be better members of their community, better members of their family, yes. um, <clears throat> and it's just you know it's just that that cascading effect. They're going to help others and they're going to make other people's lives better. Um, so yeah, that's. You know, that's, again, that's why I get out of bed every morning. Same here. I love it. I love, I love being able to uh, help people get fired up about their life and their business. So I, I completely understand. <laughs> I completely agree with you. So I, I'm thinking as uh, our listeners are, are, are hearing this, is there, if someone's sitting there and they're listening and they're like, you know, I mean, I have a job, but I'm not really a leader. I don't really see myself as a leader. Is there anything that you would want to tell them or advice or, you know, um, you know, some piece of David's wisdom that you want to say to them? Well, I don't know how wise it'll be, but, you know, everyone is a leader in some way, shape or form, um, even if they're just a leader themselves yeah. and how they interact with people. Uh, but there's there's opportunities for everyone to influence other people's lives. You know, even the most junior person in an organization, they, you know, they can not only help other people, you know, their peers, but they can also provide ideas and encouragement to people that are leading them. Um, You know, one of the terms you'll hear sometimes mentoring up, Mm. um, where no matter where you are in an organization, you always have that opportunity you know, provided the person is, is open to it, um, 
you know, to, to, to mentor up, you, you don't necessarily mentor people who are, are junior to you in the organization, but you can also mentor peers and you can mentor your, your, uh, superiors in that organization as well. You know, saying, Hey, um, you know, you know, I heard you say you were thinking about doing X, Y, or Z, um, you know, have you considered A, B, or C? And, and here's, here's, you know, here's sort of what I know from my experience and, you know, I think this might be helpful in, in, you know, helping decide with where you, you know, where we want to go with that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's always an opportunity to lead. I completely agree with you. Again, mm-hmm. I think this is what we bonded over the first time was that everyone is a leader. It's something, whether it be um, themselves or their family, or maybe it's their church or, you know, who knows, maybe they have a pet, right? They're a leader of something. So uh, tell us about one where you did 30 plus years in the army and then you got out, transitioned out, retired, and you're like, okay, now what do I do? And you've come up with this amazing uh, company that you're doing and being a consultant and you're about to write your first book. So did you have to do some really like self-awareness deep dive in or did you already know what you wanted to do before you retired? I think a little bit of I think a little bit of each. Um, I think no matter how self-aware you are when you're in an organization that has a has a pretty well-defined and established culture for, you know, well over half my life at that, you know, even, even this, even this day, well over half my life, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna influence the way you think about things. And it took me, you know, it really took me about a year or so, um, to figure out exactly what it is, uh, that I wanted to do. And so for instance, with this business, initially, all I was going to do is write the book. Uh, I've wanted to write this book for uh, close to 10 years, probably. And I figured when I retired would be a good time to do it. I've had this book written in my head for at least five years now. Uh, and it was just some of it was a matter of, of you know, doing some additional research uh, in order to you know, provide some additional background, particularly from the business side, uh, as opposed to the military side. And that was going to be about it. Um, you know, I've got other things going in my life. Uh, my wife and I are, are active volunteering in the community. Uh, one of, one of the organizations that I spend time supporting is Reconciliation Services and Thelma's Kitchen, uh, Reconciliation Services provides just tremendous uh, uh, trauma counseling uh, that that really allows people to move forward in their lives, to to be more again more effective uh, citizens in their communities and in their in their uh, their families, and then Thelma's Kitchen helping with food insecurity, as well as bringing people together who would have no other reason to come together from you know the east side and the west side of Troost, and if you're you know, if you're not from Kansas City, uh, Troost has been a dividing line in Kansas City literally forever, mm-hmm. um, uh, both racially, uh, socioeconomically. Um, so th- that brings that brings uh, th- those folks together. Now we've had to p- 
pivot a little bit and we've gone to box lunches, but God willing here soon we'll be able to open the dining room back up, which by the way, if you want to order box lunches from Thelma's, you can have them delivered to your office. If you have folks in, in the office or your, uh, or some other organization and, uh, you can just go to, um, thelmaskitchen.org and, and order them there. That's my, my little plug there. But I'm also, again, I'm on the board there at Reconciliation Services. So so I've got a lot going on there. Uh, my wife and I love to travel, and that's sort of been the sick joke of this last year. The two things we love to do the most is travel and eat at restaurants. <laughs> so, so, you know, so I was just going to write the book because I've got, you know, I've got a lot of other things going on. And as I interviewed CEOs for the for the book. A lot of them, you know, they asked me, so what are you going to do once you have the the book published? And you know, I was told myself, you know, thinking about this or that, and and really got encouraged by several of the CEOs, you know, to you know, you could you can reach more people in addition to the book if you started a, a CEO coaching business um, and did speaking on the topic, and you know, I, I will I will speak to anyone anywhere on, you know, how to develop great culture within organizations. Because, again, it, it feeds my my purpose in life of ensuring that everyone in the world loves where they work. Yeah. So so that's really sort of how, that's really how I got started with with the business side of this. And, um, you know, I'll have the book published by the end of the summer. And I continue to um, to build brand awareness of my uh you, you can, you know, you, if you, you go to David uh, David Komar at LinkedIn and see uh, uh, things that I pu- publish, not quite every day on LinkedIn, uh, as well as my website at uh, guidingculture.com, and you'll see the blogs there of things that I'm uh, that I post, and so uh, hopefully at least some of it will be useful will be useful to people. But that's really sort of how I got started. It wasn't so much intentional. It was. Um, I had a purpose to help people, and one of the ways that I think I can do that, in addition to writing the book, is to uh, develop this this coaching business. And my intent is to to grow the business, and, and you know, not just me hanging a shingle up, but then bringing you know, uh, increasing you know, the client base, trying to reach out to as many people and touch as many people as possible, bring additional uh, coaches in into the business. Because um, again, I. You know, I want to help CEOs build a great culture so that their employees, you know, are not only more productive at work, uh, they're happier and they're better members of their community and their families. Mm, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and I am just so excited for you to see how this grows, to see your book. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on once the book is done and uh, we can talk about that and your writing process and all the, all the things that go along with the book. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to the, to the end of our time together. So before, before we go, just a couple of th- more things. So what, I mean, you just have such a tremendous, I don't even know what to say other than aura, but tremendous stature. Like you are such a tremendous stature in society. And I know that we had, you have a in- tremendous impact on me, let alone the 30 plus years you had in the army. So what do you want to be your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? What I want to be remembered for is that that I cared about people and that I helped them to uh, to be more productive 
and to be great members of their community and, and their families and to just be able to, to, to touch as many people as possible in positive ways every day. Mm. And you do that. You do that already. So I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, where can people connect with you? I know you said about your website um, in the beginning and then Thelma's Kitchen. So please tell us more. Your website, LinkedIn, all of that. Yes. So so my LinkedIn, um, and you'll put, I'm sure you'll put this in the, in the show notes, um, but my LinkedIn is the normal www.linkedin.com slash IN slash Dave Komar. And again, my company website is guidingculture.com. And you can also reach out to me by email at david.comar, K-O-M, as in Mike, A-R, at live, L-I-V-E dot com. It, or you can give me a call at 816-716-4033. You can text me at that number too, but I'd much rather, I'd much rather talk to you on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and get to know you better. Uh, but please, by all means, re- by all means, reach out. And uh, again, I, I I love what I do and I love talking to other people about it and, and learning about them and seeing how, you know, seeing how we can help each other. Mm, I love it. So David Kumar, Komar, <laughs> David Komar. <laughs> uh, so it's Dave Komar at LinkedIn. Right. Not David. It's Dave. Dave on LinkedIn. Correct. Got it. Okay. Someone already took David. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, we, gosh, I'm just so honored that you took time out of your 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 little vacation getaway to spend some time with with me and my listeners because I know that you've just impacted them today. So, thank you for that. Well, thanks for having me, and and you know, again, you know, I have just an unbelievable amount of respect for you and what you do uh, for the community, for, for veterans in particular. And, you know, if, uh, you know, if there's someone that, if there's anyone out there who wants to, you know, to really sort of supercharge their life and their passion for what they do, then Shay, you, you are the person that they need to go to. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And uh, before you go, I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? What I'm living, what I'm living by right now is to put others before myself. So no matter what it is, you know, don't be thinking, don't think about myself, but think about, you know, what I can do to help others. Perfect. Perfect. And you are doing that. So again, thank you so much, Dave. Hey, don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.